0: Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast.
1: You gotta light them up before they burn it
0: down. Better dig deep and put them in the ground. But on their hands, they're back.
1: Save us all Ooh, they're gonna burn it down Save us all
0: Before they burn it down This episode of the Steadfast and Law Podcast is brought to you by our dear friends at the United States Concealed Carry Association. Being a responsibly armed citizen, an American, is both an honor and a responsibility, and it is not one to be taken lightly. If you own a gun, then you need the self-defense education, training, and self-defense liability insurance that you get with a USCCA membership. Click Learn More below right now to explore your membership options, which are risk-free with the United States Concealed Carry Association's bulletproof money-back guarantee. Guys, the United States Concealed Carry Association was founded to help responsibly armed Americans like you They're committed to providing life-saving self-defense resources to help you and your family be safe. When you activate your membership, you'll automatically get a life-saving self-defense education, industry-leading training, plus self-defense liability insurance. Don't wait until it's too late. Click Learn More below right now. And as always, the USCCA is not an insurance company. A policy has been issued to the USCCA by Universal Fire and Casualty Insurance Company, That policy provides the association and its members with self-defense liability insurance subject to its terms, conditions, limitations, and exclusions. As a pastor, film producer, and media personality, Lucas Miles leverages his combined experience from working in the church and in Hollywood in order to lead, entertain, and influence the masses with the gospel. He's been featured on TBN, The Blaze, 100 Huntley Street, Patheos, Relevant Magazine, and Bible Gateway. His flagship radio program, The Lucas Miles Show, hosted by Faithwire, features one-on-one interviews with national influencers discussing the intersection of faith and culture. Lucas has been praised by many of his guests as one of the best interviewers in the business. That's a lot of pressure on me. And in only his first year, The Lucas Miles Show quickly became the place to be for many of the top faith-inspired ceble- celebrities such as Kathlee Gifford, Jim Cavazil, Stephen Baldwin, Candace Cameron Bure, Devon Franklin, and many more. Additionally, with nearly 20 years of pastoral experience, Lucas is well-respected in Christian communities throughout the world as a speaker, author, and Christian thought leader. He's spoken at major universities, churches, and media summits summits throughout the nation. Lucas's book, Good God, the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace has been widely praised by countless influencers from professors of theology to celebrities including Sean Hannity and Kevin Sorbo. Lisa and his wife Chrissy have been married since 2001 and split their time between the Midwest and Los Angeles. Pastor Lucas Miles, welcome to the Steadfast Law podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor.
0: Well, you know, recently my church asked me to give a State of the Church address, kind of, you know, taking off from the State of the Union address. And then also I've uh, just finished reading the book by Eric McTaxis, The Letter to the American Church. How concerned about you when you look at the body of Christ, today's church, and our impact, or are we retreating away from this culture war that we have here in the United States of America?
1: Look, I, I'm highly concerned. I mean, my last book was called The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Infiltrated the Church. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a fact, is that we have seen um, a very intentional move by the left to disrupt um, the unity of the church. I think the left knows that they can't win an election unless they um, divide the church. And, and they're, they're actually being fairly successful in doing that right now. We now have a new sect, if you want to call it, of Christianity, or at least so-called Christianity, known as the Christian left, or progressive mm-hmm. Christianity, or woke Christianity. It goes by many names. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost a whole new classification of faith. And, and so this is something that I think everybody should be aware of and concerned about. Obviously, God still wins in the end, but it doesn't mean that the church in America always thrives. So we've a lot of work to do.
0: How was it that that stealth movement cuz I wholeheartedly agree with you. When you see rainbow flags on churches, Black Lives Matter banners on churches, how was the left able to stealthily, you know, infiltrate into the church yeah. with a message that is the antithesis of the gospel?
1: Yeah, so this is uh this is a major point of my study. I've spent the last couple of years kind of looking at how did we get here? Um, certainly, you know, more people are familiar with some of the modern um, uh, Trojan War or Trojan Horse sort of aspects mm-hmm. of critical race theory and social justice and these things. Uh, we could go back even further. The, the social gospel of the early 1900s, the historical Jesus movement of, of the uh, you know post-Enlightenment period that, that led to all these sort of uh, more humanistic type biographies of Jesus, making him more of a, a great social organizer rather than the savior of the world. Um, So this has been a long time coming. I mean, it's really 300 years in the making. And so um, uh, I'm very passionate about this topic, and and I think it's important that we understand how we got here, because if we don't, it's hard to unpack. Um, I I address—I have a new book coming out uh, in May called Woke Jesus, Um, and without going into that too much right now, um, one of the things that I point out is that the church father Irenaeus in the second century— he was addressing why the first-century church was not able to refute Gnosticism fully and defeat it, and basically his conclusion was they didn't understand it. And so he wrote a 600-page book called *Against Heresies* to help the church understand Gnosticism. Yeah. And I think we're in the same place again today. We have this Gnostic-like ideology and wokeness that is uh, that is very confusing. It's designed to confuse people so that it's it's insidious. It's it goes you know kind of undetected. Um, it, it uses uh, sort of double speak all the time, and so when that is presented to Christians, a lot of them don't understand it well enough, and and some of them don't understand it uh, uh, to such a degree that they actually embrace it themselves, thinking that it's the gospel. And so, you know, we have to unpack this, I think, so so people can really uh, uh, see how great this deception is and how really um, antithetical it is to the message of Christ.
0: It's so interesting you bring that up because uh, during the Super Bowl. There were a couple of commercials out there, and and I I, I kind of took offense to it. You know, the whole Jesus gets us. Well, first of all, he's not supposed to get us. We're supposed to get him. And when you look at the commercials that were out there, first of all, it's a lot of money for a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. But to make this comparative analysis between Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, you know, fleeing away from Herod and his, you know, killing of the firstborn children to Egypt— with illegal immigration. Right. You know, I think that's exactly what you see happening. So that now, well, you Christians, you, you're not compassionate if you don't understand that, you know, there are no borders, there are no boundaries. You should be able to go and do whatever you want. But that commercial left out the little important part Jesus, Mary, and Joseph went back <laughs> to their homeland. <laughs> and so again, it's just this drip, drip, drip that you see. And I don't know who put out this Jesus Gets Us, but that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and, and it's look, you know, I'm not by any means an expert on the the financial structure of that campaign. Uh, I do know they spent a lot of money and I do know that they've uh, uh, there was a lot of people involved with it and some fairly prominent people within the evangelical world that probably um, my guess is didn't think through all the messaging fully when they before they wrote the check to, you know, whoever's behind it. Um, What we're seeing there with that, I think, is a soft sale of um, of progressive Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit undefined. It's vague. Um, and, and, you know, people go, well, it's, it's talking about Jesus. Yes, but there's multiple Jesuses today. Um, there is, I mean, let's just go through the last hundred years or so. We could talk about woke Jesus. We could talk about the Aryan Christ. We could talk about the black Jesus of, of Cohen's black liberation theology. Yep. Um, you know, we could talk about the Jesus of the social gospel movement. and We could talk about Jesus of the scriptures. And so uh, it's, it's not just enough to say the name Jesus if our meaning behind that is something that is um counter to uh the presentation of our Lord in Scripture. And so uh with the He Gets Us campaign, other things like that, I think that we're seeing a more terrestrial Jesus. We're seeing a humanistic Christ. Um and and to some degree I, I can appreciate and understand why. Uh, the left and like why liberals, you know, they want so badly to have this sort of tangible side. But I I think there's a major deception there. And ultimately, if Jesus is mostly terrestrial or completely terrestrial, uh, then then we don't have a whole lot of hope. You know, even if it helps us be nice to one another, you know, we still have eternity at stake. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, is is often gets left out of uh, um, the reasons why progressive Christianity is so is so, you know, damaging.
0: Well, Jesus is not your buddy. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus came here so that you can have salvation. And when I look at this messaging, nothing is about salvation. So what can our schools of theology, what can our seminaries do to combat this? And do we see some of these different perspectives, versions or whatever Jesus emanating from these institutions?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Look, I, I this is something I didn't want to address in my book, Woke Jesus, which it's available for pre-order now. If anybody's interested in checking that out, but it's it's uh, I spent I spent a whole chapter on this educational component because we have major universities. So look, I used to speak every year at a place like Biola University. There's some unbelievable professors there, uh, some really you know great people. But but you know they have had a debate going now over a decade about a mural of Jesus that is on the side of their building that the 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 um uh, you know the president at the time said was a symbol of alienation for their <laughs> uh their minority students um you know this is this is ridiculous that you have a a president of a major evangelical um uh, um you know university that is calling Jesus a symbol of of alienation uh, and i think this happens by you know um uh, uh, you know, kind of slowly over time, you know, being whittled away, the, the, some of the, the, the values at these institutions. They get people on the board that probably never should have been on the board. They receive money from from, you know, donors that they probably should, never should have taken money from that sometimes has strings attached to it. And and it, look, I, I I called out Biola, but this isn't this isn't just a Biola issue. We're seeing this at every major just about, you know, Christian university across the country is facing mm-hmm. this to some degree, and in the same way that the Harvards, the Yales, the Princetons, these places that were once theological institutions, you know, that's why they were started, yes. was to train clergy, they went through a shift. And, and there there was, I mean, the only reason we needed the Wheatons and the Biolas and, and these places, because, because the first line of, of theological training, you know, uh, abandoned the cause. So we had to have the second line of universities rise up to be able to train, you know, clergy. Now we're seeing almost a need for we need a whole other you know group of universities to rise up and and I'm thankful there's still places like Liberty and and you know Caris uh, Bible College in, in uh, um, um, you know in Colorado and other places that are that are standing strong on these issues but but this is uh, this is a it's a major concern and I really believe that our Christian institutions they need to start cleaning house. And and they need to get back to the reason why they were founded.
0: You know, you're absolutely right. Uh, I had the opportunity to go up and give a couple of lectures at Liberty University a couple of weeks ago. And you look and see what's going on at Asbury College. Yeah. But yet you have all of these big, major, you know, Abilene Christian University here in Texas, Texas Christian University, and all of these other universities that have Christian in the name or Southern Methodist University. Yeah. But they're not doing anything. That relates back to their original charter, original founding. Even Baylor University has gotten off the charts, and that was supposed to be a big Southern Baptist school. So, you know, when you look at the governors in these states, I mean, how can they get engaged? How can they be involved? Because, you know, Andrew Breitbart once said that politics flows downstream of the culture. But I think the culture is flowing downstream of our interaction with it as the body of Christ, which many people say you're not supposed to get involved in politics and Maybe that'll be our next line of questioning.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, you know, to that, I, you cannot look at the New Testament without seeing consistent, um, uh, uh, you know, um, meetings and connected moments and intersections between the church and politics. Um, Jesus spent most of or a good portion of his ministry, we'll say that, talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the legal structure for the, the, uh, the Jewish people. Um, this was, you know, this would be like a, a pastor today spending time on Capitol Hill, you know, talking to the, the Senate and the Congress. I mean, this is um, uh, this is this is not foreign in the New Testament. Paul, you know, multiple times appeared before kings and magistrates. Um, and and shared with them look we're not trying to set up as christians and this is the misnomer i don't want a theocracy Absolutely. we left england for a reason <laughs> um you know we we got rid of the church and and uh, state unification you know model um uh, also the old testament you know it was it was unlawful for the king and the priest to be from the same tribe there was a separation of those things but it was always the priest and the prophet's job to be the conscience for the king, to, to appeal to the king, to speak, you know, boldly to the king on, be, you know, from, you know, really from the Lord uh, and on behalf of, of uh, the, the faith of the people. And this is the job. You know, John uh, um, Calvin talked about the separation of church and state. And, you know, essentially what he said is the state should always be far enough away from the church uh, in order to never be able to tell it what to do. But the church should always be close enough to the state in order to be her conscience, and I think that you know Christians. We, if look, if you if you're not awake already to the need to get active in this conversation, I don't know what's going to wake you up. But I'll tell you what: there's going to come a day where it's going to be too late if if the church does not do something now and does not stand you know firm today.
0: You're absolutely right. And so here's my question: who's the next who's the next Billy Graham? Because you saw a man that was. Heavily engaged with every single president during his 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 lifespan. Yeah. He never changed his message. So who's yeah. the next Billy Graham out there?
1: You know, I, I think there's some people right now that are doing some really great work on a on a national level. Um, I, you know, I'm very thankful for for being summit faculty, working with a guy like uh, Dr. Jeff Myers, who is, you know, on the front lines of, of speaking out on these things. Uh, I think of people like Jim Garlow. Uh, that's doing a lot of great work, you know, around this country. Um, I, I don't know if there's any one person today that's filling those shoes of Billy Graham. I, I think it's going to, you know, I think there's a collective need for the church to rise up and, and really a need to reach across denominational lines. Uh, one of the things that I've started here uh, recently with our organization is what we're calling the the um, uh, the American Pastor Project. Uh, and it's just AmericanPastorProject.org. And we are asking pastors to sign a statement of biblical orthodoxy across all denominations and just to in with that comes a commitment against wokeism, socialism, LGBT, you know, Q plus movement, all of these things that, that you're not endorsing or supporting any of this from the pulpit. And so right now we're seeing pastors flood to our site. They're signing the statement. They're saying that they're going to stand firm. And, and this, you know, as, as that list reaches critical mass, we're going to be taking that to D.C. We're going to be talking to, uh, you know, every single congressional di- district, you know, really applying some upward pressure, saying, look, you know, we don't want a theocracy, but we do expect that the, the church is that 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 there's going to be this message of revival that's going to rise up from the people of God that is going to start impacting the politic of our nation. And I'm not looking for a forced Christianity upon the American people. I'm looking for a Christianity that inspires the American people to start living godly and living righteously and that righteous laws would once again flourish in this land. That's a very different thing that from a theocracy. And, but I believe that it's, it's the, the model that we see in Scripture, and I believe it's the model that we need in this day uh, to really navigate some of the dark times that we're in.
0: Now, you bring up a great point because, you know, so often the secular humanists and the politicians of the left will turn to Romans chapter 13 and say, See, it says that you Christians are supposed to be subject to government. But they forget this very important adjective, and that's righteous governance. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said... Hey man, throw me into the into the fur, you know, into yep. the furnace and we'll turn it into a, a tanning salon. And and Daniel said, Nah, can't do this, you know, throw me down there into the lion's den and yep. I'll turn it into a petting zoo. So I think it's so important that Christians understand they have to stand for righteous governance, which, as you mentioned earlier, that's why people fled England, because you cannot have the king says, I'm going to make religion based upon what I believe in, and I'm yeah. going to be the head of the state and head of the church. And if you don't follow it, you're going to be persecuted. And so when I look at the, re- the new religion of the left, I mean, the LGBTQ, the gender dysphoria, all of these things, the same sex marriage, you know, what we're saying is that we stand on these biblical truths and don't try to force this against us and especially by means of instituting it by you know a court system yeah. you know courts don't make law and right. so i think it's so important that we have like a biblical civics 101 uh <laughs> for for the christian community
1: yeah Look, I, I think that this is uh you're absolutely right with this. And I think that there's some institutions that are doing a lot of good work, you know, in that space. Um I, I know uh, uh you know, a group that that's dear to both of our hearts, My Faith Votes, is doing some really, yes. you know, cool stuff on educating people, Jason Yates and the team there. Yep. Uh, I think of a place like Liberty. I think of a place uh, like Hillsdale. I think of, um, you know, the work that Rick Green is doing yep. um, uh, right now and and uh, with his biblical citizenship classes. And, and, and I think that, you know, uh, I, I'm thankful for that. And, you know, we're really, with our American Pastor Project, what we're trying to do is we're trying to really bring a lot of these resources together, make them available for pastors. I think if you went to the average pastor and said, um, can you tell me, you know, why is— uh, uh, why is uh, is transgenderism, um, you know, uh, antithetical to to scripture? Or or does the Bible condone slavery? I think that the average pastor would go, well, of course the Bible doesn't condone slavery, and of course transgenderism isn't biblical. But if you started really pushing them on, could you right now just put down on paper why? You know, I, I think the average pastor would struggle with that. Yeah. And so, and, and look, I don't have condemnation for that. I think that it does show that we have some work to do um but but you know so many of these pastors and I was one of these guys as well uh they they started as youth pastors they got pulled out of college and the you know senior pastor eventually retired and they found themselves all of a sudden a senior mm-hmm. pastor and 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 I think that um you know the the uh, our our seminaries are not preparing students for what the, the nation and what the people are really facing today um and i we have a lot of pastors that are unprepared for this they're still trying to figure out how to respond to same sex marriage mm-hmm. and we got kids in schools that think they're they're animals you know, now yeah, and they want to yeah. use a litter box. You know, the church is so far away from actually knowing how to address that as a whole. And, and we got to get to work. And, and so, you know, um, I, I don't know if we need pastor boot camps or not, but it's not a bad idea. No, gotta I think get you do. got to get these guys educated.
0: <laughs> no, I yeah. think pastor boot camps is, is a great thing because, you know, having served 22 years in the military, what, what, what you do in the military boot camp, you take people from diverse backgrounds yeah. and you make them as one and i think it's so important if we could get pastors and and lock them down and and just get them to understand how do you stand as one because this cultural marxism is all about how you divide us yes. being at yes. socioeconomic being race whatever it's looking to divide us, whatever but in the body of christ there is no division you know we have our different you know gifts and what have you but when I show up, Jesus is not going to say, well, hey, Alan, the black guy, you got to go to this slide. Hey, Lucas, the white guy, you got to go. No, you know, we are all going to stand in judgment before him. Yep. Nothing else matters. Yep. So yep. are you encouraged when you see what's happening at Asbury College and the fact that it's spilling over to other public universities now?
1: Yeah. Look, I, I, I'm encouraged anytime I see, the true gospel proclaimed. Um, I I was hoping to get down to Asbury. I, I wasn't able to make it due to some other commitments. And and uh, but you know certainly have a lot of relationships that went there. Uh, I was I was excited by what I was hearing. And and look, I I'm a big believer that that the the body of Christ needs to unite beyond secondary differences. And and so this is this is one of the things that we've focused on with our pastor project is that you know look we could all find stuff to disagree about theologically we could we could disagree about women in ministry or gifts of the Holy Spirit or once saved always saved or can you lose your salvation we could debate those things and I could take just for an exercise I could take each side of those arguments and build a scriptural case for all of them right to some degree and. And, and, you know, people get very worked up about that. We start throwing around heretical terms about people that maybe hold to one of these things. I'm not concerned about those issues the way that I am about, is Jesus Lord? Um, is the Bible the authoritative, you know, uh, uh, word of God? Um, is Christ returning? Is, do, is uh, um, you know, do we hold to the idea of the depravity of man, these different beliefs? And so when I see something like Asbury or the, the what's spreading to other places— I see people that are and, and even the the impact of um uh uh the the new uh, Jesus Revolution movie that's that's you know kind of mm-hmm. people are talking about I've not seen it yet myself but all of a sudden people are talking about Jesus they're excited and they're not just talking about social Jesus they're talking about the Jesus that has has forgiven us of our sins and redeems us from hell and and you know is coming back to save us and redeem us and I get excited when I see that message of the gospel proclaimed, and I think although the world is getting darker, I think in some ways the church has an opportunity to really get brighter today, and and to you know regain some ground that was lost in the past. And I think the key to that is unity, and I think that we have to unify around the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ, who was both fully God and fully man. And I think if the church does that, um, you know what? I don't I don't know if this world's ever seen. Uh, um, the impact that can be made when this many Christians around the world, you know, stand unified together in uplifting Jesus Christ.
0: You know, uh, one of the things I used to tell my soldiers when we were in a combat zone is that every day you got to wake up and know what your task and purpose is. So as we close out this interview, when you wake up every day, what what is that task and purpose that you have?
1: Yeah. You know, for me, it's, um, it's probably a couple things. Specifically, I want to see uh, the body of Christ unified um, during this, this time in, in our nation's history in, in standing against the heretical ideas that are coming against the church that are confusing people and that we would clearly, boldly, lovingly, and with truth proclaim the gospel. Um, that, that wakes me up every single day. Um, that's the work that we're doing at our local church. It's what we're doing within kind of this, this network that I, that I oversee. Uh, it's the work that I'm doing through my books. It's, it's really about trying to help people avoid the errors on either ditch, you know, on either side, uh, and come back to the true gospel. Um, and you know, we live in a time where, um, uh, you know, uh, everybody's quoted Reagan that, that every generation has to defeat communism yeah. or socialism. And, and this is our, this is our time. And look, we yeah. can't, we can't defeat uh, the Republican Party will not defeat socialism.
0: I agree. It's going to take
1: the church being involved yeah. uh, in order for I I believe that uh, um, that that defeat to really happen and and for freedom to still ring you know uh, around this nation.
0: You're absolutely right. And when you think about you know Karl Marx, uh, he saw the church as an enemy, and yeah. that's why that the uh, that ideology has to be defeated by the one thing that he saw as the enemy because he believed that man could create you know, heaven on earth, but we know that that is a false yep. narrative. So Pastor yep. Lucas Miles, where can people follow you? Where can people tune in and see your show uh, and all the great things you're doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We just finished um, uh, first season at Epoch Times of my new show called Church and State. They can head over, subscribe to Epoch, and they can check it out there. Uh, if they want to get their hands on my brand new book, um, Woke Jesus, uh, they can, uh, you know, wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, it's available for pre-order now. Uh, it'll, it'll ship as soon as it, uh, hits the warehouse, uh, to you. And so certainly appreciate people check. It is, you know, in my opinion, it, and, and I'm probably a little biased cause I wrote it, but, you know, I set out to create the definitive resource regarding wokeism to answer that question of Irenaeus of how can we help the church truly understand what's happening so that they can defeat wokeism. Uh, it's going to help you out to identify it in the pulpit, all these things, really be able to, you know, snuff it out and, and put it to rest once and for all. So that's woke Jesus. And then if there's any pastors out there, clergy, and, and we define that fairly broadly. If you're in traveling ministry, music ministry, maybe you're a Christian podcast host, head over to AmericanPastorProject.org and you can sign the statement there and uh, become part of really that uh, uh, this, this, you know, for lack of a better term, this army that God's raising up uh, to stand for truth here in this nation.
0: Well, I appreciate all that you're doing. I just want to let you know that there's going to be something coming your way. Uh, I started the uh, Black Robe Regiment Tomahawk. And so, as you see, it has 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5 on it. We want you to continue to preach the word. And we have the old uh, Revolutionary War pastor there. And your name will be, uh, uh, you know, emblazoned here on the shaft of this tomahawk going to be coming to you because you are part of that Black Robe Regiment and thank I you for what you're doing I'm so, so
1: honored I got a place I know just where to put that so thank awesome. you very much
0: God be with you and thanks so much Pastor Lucas Thank you Before they burn it down